Hey, um, welcome again uh, to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. Um, as, uh, um, as, we, as a church community, we desire for you to explore Jesus. And maybe you're coming here for the first time, and maybe it's been a while. Um, we pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged or even pushed a little bit further to explore who he is. Uh, maybe you're someone who's looking for a church community at home. Um, we say this in all the services that we're not a perfect church. We believe in a perfect saviour. Uh, this this evening, I guess, we're going to kick it off, and um, I'm going to let you know uh, there's a bit of ground to cover. Um, and to do that, um, we're going to open up uh, the Bible. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis 1, verses 26 to 31. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to come up on the screen for you, but either way, the verse is up here on the screen. If you don't, you can just pull up your Bible app, uh, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 31. Um, but where I'm actually going to stop is actually just verse 27, just for um, because of our time, but to give you a bit of a, a context and, and scene. Uh, here is God's word. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then the verses after that is God's com- um, commission uh, of man and their role in this world. Um, and so I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump into it. Lord, I want to thank you for tonight. I thank you for your gracious, uh, redemptive power to redeem and continuing to restore us. Lord, tonight's topic about you being the designer, about male and female and and all those things are hot topics. I ask tonight that you would set your agenda very clearly through your word. And whoever we are and whatever season we're in, we pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, I pray that for myself pray that my words and my thoughts and my meditations will honor you and bring you glory, not for my sake, but for your namesake alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be kicking off a series tonight, um, and this is the first one. Uh, and the whole idea about this is tackling this idea of God's design, and that's going to be over the next few months. And I have the privilege to kick it off for you. I'm just going to let you know now, we're not going to do what we normally do in our church services where we might tackle just one passage and dive deep into it. This is what I would call like a survey of God's design. In other words, it's like an ark. So we're going to be starting in Genesis, but I hope and by the end of it, you'll get a sense of how, what's God's big picture of it how he's shaped and how he's designed it. And just to kind of make this short, this is a bit of a communication back and forth. Uh, there's a number up there. Rules of the number up there. Please don't prank it. Okay? Try to avoid emojis. Uh, and probably the best thing to do is actually send any questions that you might have, and I'll do my best to answer them if I can. If I can't, we'll take it offline and maybe do some sort of video for you. I uh, kind of let the sort of set the grid for us, the passage I just read. I want us to consider these things. One, God's design. Two, our problem. Three, God's solution. 
And finally, our call. So God's design, our problem, God's solution, and our call. Um, I don't know if you realize this, and my guess is you probably already do, that uh, all of us bear the likeness of someone else, right? Uh, You're all related to somebody, uh, whether that's a great joy or not. But either way, you're related to them. And there's something about you that resembles them, to in you, right? What do I mean by that? Well, uh, there's personality traits, there's the way that you look, all these kind of things that play into it. Uh, so my family, I've got uh, my beautiful wife, Beck. She's half Dutch, half Aussie. Uh, I'm the Indian one. So, you know, when we have kids, if you didn't know that I'm Indian, and then uh, <coughs> we have kids and we get caramel babies, right? Um, white, brown, mixed together. Okay, anyway, uh, that's a different talk. Now, They've inherited from my beautiful wife her beautiful looks, a beautiful smile, those um, fun characteristics. From me, my hair. That's about it, as I can tell. Now, we as humans have been designed by someone. It's not just by chance. We've been designed, and we actually have a fingerprint of the creator of the universe. I mean, in the verses in front of us are not made-up accounts, just letting you know that. I believe that is really what happened. God did this as the creator. He creates, the hu- he creates humans. But I don't know if you noticed the way that his design work is. Right? Prior to this passage we just read earlier, God's design work is that he, he puts the planets in place, he, he speaks and it happens. And as he's happening, there's like uh, life and climate and rivers and oceans and stars. It's all made out of nothing because God of being the creator, he just speaks and it happens. But yet his work is not finished. So he puts together another design to create again. And this time he does it very uniquely. He designs the humans, the first humans, Adam and Eve. I don't know if you noticed how the language comes out in the passage. Uh, how, if you have a look again, there's this conversation going on. Let us. This idea of us is the Trinity. This is God himself. Now, that's another topic on its own. But the whole picture is God himself, all of him, is investing in creation and making humans with a specific identity and with a specific mission. This idea of in our image, let us make. And if you see, as the continuation of chapter 2 and then as you go into chapter 3, it's a unique design in comparison to the other things around that he created. This is the reality of what separates us as humans from animals, for example. Because we are distinct, unlike anything in this world. In that... God actually describes it in Genesis 2, in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. It's up here on the screen as well. But this whole picture that is given before us, as you continue to read in Genesis 2, I'd encourage you to take time to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to give you a bit of a grid. God puts man... In the garden, to look after it. Now, there's a mission given by God. So, made in his image, given a mission, 
And God commands this man, hey, don't, you can have everything around you, but just don't eat of this tree. This shows God's authority as the creator and the role of man under his loving care and authority. And then God says, hey, it's not good for him to be alone. So I'm going to create a helper. So he forms beasts and animals. Then he says to the man, and this shows the man's authority to go and name the animals under God's loving authority. But there's no helper fit for him. And God, in his goodness and grace, creates again. This time he creates Eve, the woman. So there's this whole thing going on in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. The bottom line is, the language that's used here is God creates man and woman in his image. Or, another way to put it, creates man and woman in his likeness. Later on, there would be a term that would come in Latin, this idea of imago Dei. It's a fancy way, but a, a wonderful way of describing what it means to be in his image, or as God describes, in our image, in our likeness. Uh, there's a definition up here for you, uh, which says, in the book of Genesis, the two terms describe human beings who in some way reflect the form and the function of the Creator. The form is more likely stressing the spiritual rather than the physical. The image of God would be the God-given mental and spiritual capacities that enable people to relate to God and to serve Him by ruling over the created order as His earthly vice regents. Okay, this is image-bearing language. This shows there's authority, but there is an order. The God is the one who's the creator, and he places man and woman. He's the one who defines it under his loving care and order. Uh, what I love about this is that God's design is so wonderful and beautiful that God creates this beautiful picture of partnership. Now, friends, there's a reason for this. Uh, even in the way that God creates man, he breathes into them. It's a wonderful picture of God giving life. And the reason why this matters, this is the foundation we need to have first. This is where we need to begin. See, if you don't have this kind of foundation, everything around you will be impacted by it. Because if we don't have this kind of foundation in front of us, we forget that every human being, whoever they are, has meaning and worth from conception all the way to their final breath and beyond. Bauer's language here is that they have worth because they are made in the image of God. They are image bearers. And remembering that, when we remember that they are image bearers, we're remembering also it's who defines it. It's actually not you or me. But God himself is the one who defines us. Being made in the image of God or likeness, it's a reminder that human beings are unique, but we're also called to be under the loving authority of God. And that there is only one God, He's already taken that role and we're under his loving care and authority. See, this means that when you and I 
look at people around us, whether they're of a different race, ethnic background, religious upbringing, male or female, or people, even those people that you don't even actually like for whatever reason, we need to remember first, if you follow Jesus Christ, they are image bearers of God. Uh, my, um, so, you know, this week I'm preaching at the night service, and because as probably most of you are young and cool and hip and that kind of language, I'm not sure if that's still in. Um, I, no, it's not in. Thank you, Beth. Uh, and so I decided to go to my barber. And when I say my barber, he's not my barber. Just the guy that I go to cut my hair, and his name's Adrian. Adrian is fully, yeah, anyway, I've, I've explained who he is before. Adrian's a wonderful guy. I love talking to him about God and the things of God because we, every time we go, the conversations get closer to who he is and his heart's opening up to who God is, which is wonderful and exciting. And so Adrian is sitting there and he's explaining to me, we had a big religious conversation, then we ask each other, so what are you doing this weekend? So he goes, oh, I suppose you're going to go to church on Sunday. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, and I said, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And he said, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm taking my wife out. It's her birthday. And then, you know, on, on Sunday, I'm actually doing something. I said, oh, what are you doing? He goes, oh, we've got one of our clients who comes here who's just been diagnosed with leukemia. So I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to do a really good haircut for him and give him a good shave. What is that? That in that moment is Adrian, an image bearer of God, displaying something of God in him. Now, what do I mean by that? I want to make this very clear, though. Adrian and I still have a problem. Because guess what? Even though Adrian's doing that wonderful work, it won't save him. He needs someone to intervene. So what's our problem? That's the next point. Uh, In our day and age, uh, probably this is a, a very hot topic because... Um, a few years ago, you would have probably seen these two people pop up on your uh, feed in some way. So this is Bruce Jenner, uh, who um, I think is still calling himself Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, he decided that he's not uh, a male, he's a female. So Bruce now sees himself as female. He decides to change his identity. He decides to change his image. And that's an American thing, but what about in Australia? Well, this is Ruby Rose. If you don't know who Ruby Rose is, she's an actress. She's just uh, got a a new film deal, being Batwoman. Uh, And she's also a DJ, and she's she's quite popular uh, around the globe. This is how she describes herself. She's gender fluid and does not identify strongly as a woman or a man. And then in July 29th of 2016, uh, there was a thing called the National Sex Survey. And the question was asked, which of the following terms do you feel best describes your gender? And usually it used to be male or female. But in this survey, there was 33 possible responses to this question. Friends, uh, we may be in shock, particularly those of us who know Jesus, but that's the problem. There is a problem. We have a problem when we as a culture, when we as individuals, reject God's design. We reject his design. 
And this is actually played out in the Bible. The Bible actually talks about this and the story of uh, creation. As you continue to read, and you see in Genesis 3, it's up here on the screen, uh, the enemy of God and the enemy of man, Satan, representing the serpent, comes up and says, hey, you know that fruit that God said don't eat? Well, come on. You can eat it. And he says, you won't die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Friends, this is what happens when humans try to take the role or position that is reserved for God alone. What happens is this is sin. It infects everything. And you know, actually in the story of the Bible, you have this constant thing coming up. Particularly Israel as a nation, they're called out to be God's people. And every time another nation comes and takes them over, they're called to worship idols. So if you, wanna, uh, if you go to in sort of ancient Near East, and in the most recent time you would have seen this, if you guys are old enough like me, when Saddam Hussein was toppled, there's a statue of him, and they topple it down. This is when a dictator makes an image of themselves. That's what's this idea that shows up in Old Testament. This idea of likeness is expressed the most ultimate way is to ultimately worship ourselves. You know what? God actually warned the people of Israel about this. You read in Exodus chapter 20, and the world-famous Ten Commandments, in verse 4, God says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God says this is not good for you. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that, as image bearers, humans are called to bear his image, not create images of themselves or something else to ultimately worship because they're created beings just like us. God is the one who defines image. God's design is always the best. It's not us who defines it. Later on, the Apostle Paul would write again in Romans. It's a world-famous passage again, where he says in verse 21, starting there, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for what? Images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Friends, this is what happens. This is our problem. This is what goes on when you forget who sets image, who is the designer. It's also a reminder to you and I that in the creation story that there is order. That God is God. And in passages like later on, even in the Old Testament... And then into Romans reminds us there is an image disorder when you and I play God. 
things are turned upside down. It gets messed up. This is our problem. And that's a problem that's been there since Genesis 3. Friends, this is why we have the abuse of men and women or children. Because we do not see them as image bearers of God. This is why cowardly men use language of I'm a man to sin against women because they do not see that women are image bearers of God. See, when we have the right view of male and female and the way that God has designed it, then we are called to live in a particular way. But sadly, people use it and are abusing it or even misrepresenting it. This is why I think in our world, you and I are constantly in confusion. Not just in the world, but I think I would dare to say sometimes even in the church community. Because God's design is not taken seriously. This is why God is so merciful and gracious that he is the one who brings the solution himself. He is the one, as the creator of the universe, brings the solution. And his solution is not based on your terms or my terms. It's based on his terms. Another passage again, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1 these words. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him and through him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And then later on, Paul writes how Jesus is the preeminent one, that he is uh, the firstborn. And how that's displayed. Well, the most powerful way it's displayed is in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God's solution is sending his only son. I mean, this idea of Jesus being the image, it's not like you and me. It's not like you and me. Another way to put it, he's the perfect imprint of God. In other words, if you want to know what actually God looks like, if your friend says, what's God like? Introduce them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Because he is the creator. And God is bringing him as the solution, and he sends his son Because he is the one who would come into this world and does what perfectly we ought to have done. He bears the image of his father perfectly. This is God's solution. This is God's gift for restoration. But see, the thing that really sticks out to me is that this image bearer, this one who is Jesus, comes into the world and is willing to become marred. There's a prophet by the name of Isaiah who says in Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant, talking about the Messiah, shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, uh, at you his appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance. This form beyond that of the children of mankind. You go on in Isaiah 53, 
and talks about the Messiah again, where he talks, for he grew up before him like a plan, like a root out of dry ground. He had no formal majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is Jesus, the perfect image, is willing to go to that length for you and for me. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He didn't open his mouth and he was willing to go to be slaughtered on the cross and to become disfigured on your behalf and mine. See, God's restoration plan is by sending Jesus Christ to take our place. This is God's solution. God allows his own son to experience the effects of our rebellion and our rejection, our call to be image bearers. Jesus himself is disfigured, literally. Friends, what we're seeing is God's perfect heart and grace and love displayed for you and me. See, when we embrace Christ and we embrace his message, this is what Christians talk about in Christ. This is such a truth to grab onto and grow in. We're actually then benefiting the works of Christ's work. This means that for those of us who are exploring the Christian faith, I want you to know you will not find true image or definition in yourself or the things around you. It won't be found in the how many likes you have in your Insta account or maybe even redefining your sexuality. You will not find your identity in that. It's God who defines, not you or me. And we would invite you to be confronted by that. We would invite you to explore that. We would ask you to ask the questions. We pray that you'll be open to the good news of Jesus. And Christian friends, this is so important for you and I, not just then, but even now in our day and age, to really embrace this, to grow in knowing what God's design is. Because when you and I continue to grow in God's design and trusting in the way that he's designed it, that means when we live in this word, confronted by things that constantly say no, we come back to what God says, not what culture says. We come back to what God has designed, not what culture designs for us. And the only way to do that is to actually grow more in seeing Jesus and what he's done for you. See, God's design is perfect. God's design is very clear. He designed male and female with purpose to live under his loving care and call. So what is our call? Well, like I said, if you're exploring the Christian faith, God's design for humans is that we are called to be image bearers, male and female, under his loving care. You may not be, be there yet. You might have lots more questions. We would invite you to ask your friend who brought you tonight. We might even ask you to come and chat to us after the service. But we pray that you will give your life to him. Christian friends, let me just remind you and I, God is the designer. You and I are the clay. He's the one who defines See, your friends who don't know Jesus will struggle to understand this. 
So before you jump on the bandwagon of yelling at them and telling them that they're wrong, why don't you step back and ask them this question, who do you say God is? Because your understanding of God will define how they view all of this idea of design. So walk through this idea that God is the one where they need to start. God and who he is in Christ, what Christ has done is where you need to begin. And if you're someone who's struggling with the way that God has designed you, welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. We would love to talk to you and we would love to journey with you as a church family because we trust and believe that his design is perfect and good. And Christian friends, our call is to constantly point people to the designer. They need to meet the designer. And how do they meet him? Through Jesus Christ, the perfect design. So when you are talking with people who are confused or disagree with your view, learn to talk more about Jesus. Learn to talk more about the Creator. And friends, this also reminds you and I that we need to be careful for those of us who know Jesus. We need to be very careful how we talk about those people who may be different from us. No matter where they stand on the spectrum of how they view themselves. They don't know Jesus. That's where you need to begin first. Because as they too are image bearers, broken like you and me who needs Jesus' restoration in their lives. So, God's design, man, woman. Men, embrace the design God has for you. Women, embrace the design God has designed for you. God's design is that we are made in his image, as image bearers, male and female. The problem is sin has corrupted this. But God in his mercy sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the perfect image of God. And our call is to give our lives in submission to him and his design, not our own. Let me pray. Lord, we come before you as the one who is the designer. Help us to be resting and trusting in how you have shaped this. As we live in this world, help us not to be afraid. As we talk to our friends who don't know you, help us to spend more time in talking about who you are and what you've done. For those of us who know you, help us to grow in knowing that we are image bearers and we have a responsibility now to go and tell people of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, Cam. Oh, there's questions. Oh, no. Yep. Yeah, the um, moment when you say, oh, we should do questions, and then you regret it. That's that moment now. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now, Shubs. Um, so question one was, uh, since we are created in the image of God, is body modification, such as tattoos, ear stretches, etc., wrong for Christians? <clears throat> so is... Uh, is tattoos and ear modifications wrong because... Wrong for Christians. Wrong because for we're Christians. made in God's image. <laughs> uh, one, um, if you are looking for me to give you permission to get a tattoo or some sort of earring, I will not give you permission. Uh, secondly, um, the idea of God's image and made in his image or likeness has nothing to do with a tattoo or earrings. Okay? 
So if you choose to do that, that's your call. If you're an adult, that's your call at the end of the day. I don't think you're going to stand before Jesus and Jesus will go, you did a tattoo. You might regret it, um, but that's a different story. Okay? Um, so if, you have, if you're wanting to come and argue with me about it, that's fine. I grew up in a culture um, that was told I'm not allowed to get a tattoo. I was some verse they pulled out from Old Testament about Leviticus or something, I can't remember. And then I thought, well, what about the other stuff? Am I meant to do that too? But my uncle wasn't happy about that discussion. Um, And then I used to have a shaved head, right? So he pulled out an Old Testament verse about locks and you need to grow your hair and what are you doing? Once again, I asked him about these other... He didn't want it. So my point is that um, just be careful. Get the full picture. Ask hard questions. Why are you doing it? Um, Is it for the sake of how cool look at my tattoo or look at my really awesome earring I, you know why if you're a follower of Jesus what, what, what you know if you're God's design means you're secure in Christ you don't need a tattoo to make yourself feel better but if you choose to do it God bless you I'm probably going to lose my job am I? yeah <laughs> cool um, so question two uh I know lots of people that either identify as gay, bisexual, lesbian, gender fluid and much more. When sharing the gospel with them, these issues will certainly come up. How do we share God's love with them without alienating them? Yeah, look, um, I just want you to know that the gospel message is offensive, right? So the good news of Jesus is offensive. To be telling someone that they need to be under a loving authority of a God and they need to give up their rights, pick up their cross, follow him, is offensive, right? Now, how we share needs to be doing with grace and patience. If you have a relationship with them, right, so long-term relationships like friends with them, um, where I usually begin is not these things are bad and you shouldn't be doing it. Where I begin is to ask them about what their definition of God is. So if their definition is of God is, oh, God's accepting and loving and all those things, which is true, but it's kind of convoluted with everything else here they don't have the right definition so places that I go to like I do Genesis I've read Genesis with people I might go through John Gospel of John chapter 1 you know talking about who Jesus is it talks about his authority like this idea so those are the kind of things that I've tried before cool Uh, third question was are there qualities of God that Christians can't display or that non-Christians can't display Are they, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not sovereign. Uh, uh, I'm not uh, perfect. I'm perfect in Christ. Um, uh, Christ. Non-Christians can't fully display in the sense of what what God offers in forgiveness and mercy until they have Christ in them. Uh, it's well, um, there's a technical language called common grace, right? Common grace means like my friend Adrian, who's barber and he's cutting someone's hair and he genuinely wants to love people. That's a common grace thing, but he doesn't know Christ fully and he's still under the wrath of our holy God and he needs God's restoration and all of that. I don't know if I answered the question, but yep. I think so. Um, last question. <laughs> if you ask that question, come and chat to me after, actually. Yep. Last yep. question. It has two parts to it. Um, how would you suggest that we speak up against issues specifically relating to image in our culture? 
Yep. For example, gender confusion and other things uh, around. But how do we also do this in a way that doesn't come across as judgmental and forgetful about our own image problems? Sure. Um, the first part, um, I would say that if you're having a conversation with someone, whether via social media or one-on-one, um, if they don't know Jesus, until they're confronted by that, they're not going to fully get it. So you still need to engage with them. Um, be gracious, be humble, be truthful. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong in saying, like my neighbour um, who thinks, you know, I'm an idiot for thinking what I do, telling him, well, that's okay, I still love you, and still speak the truth because God has to. So I think it's engaging with them in humility and grace and still speaking truth, uh, just as Christ has done with me, he confronts me with grace and truth. Um, so that's where I'd begin with that. Um, and I think in popular kind of discussions, whether if you're in forums or things, whatever else you might be doing, um, just remember that your, your goal is to glorify God. Okay? That's the top goal always. So how you glorify uh, is, you know, work that out, what that's going to look like. Um, um, that's one. Second? What was the second question? Uh, the second was how do we just do it in a way where it doesn't come across as judgmental forgetting about our own problems. Yeah. Um, Friends, I'd just say to you that um, friends who don't know Jesus will think you're judgmental. Um, uh, That's just, that's, I I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like my friends who who don't know Jesus think I'm judgmental. Um, But my, my role is not to sit on a high horse, but is actually come down from a level, hopefully, of saying, I too deserve judgment. Um, and so I need to be constantly pointing to grace and truth and love and talking through that. Um, I think, I mean, I think sometimes as Christians, we're, we're forgetting the art of asking questions. Okay? I, I just, I'm just putting it out there. I think we as Christians need to be careful that as soon as someone tells something that hits one of your buttons, don't just be like, all right, let's go. Okay? If someone presses your button, that's the whole point. They want to press your button. The idea is learn to go, okay, why did you say that? Where is that coming from? Like my neighbor, um, I've said this to you guys before, I think. He tells me, he says to me, you, you, you hate gay people. I said, me? He goes, yes, you, because you're a Christian. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Who's God to you? And then he said to me, well, God is loving and caring. It doesn't matter. I said, well, actually, that's a different God. I don't, that's not the God I worship. Let me explain to you who God is. But then I said to him, do you, have you had any background? Because, yeah, I got abused by, in the church. Well, what do you, that's going to shape his view of God. So I need to learn to ask questions. So Christians, learn to ask questions. Don't just give him the two-minute video that you saw on YouTube and that was really awesome. Just ask questions. That's it. You passed.